Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... It's not snowing yet, but we are going to get after it on this Wednesday night talking about a football game. Uh, starting to talk about a football game this weekend that it could be cold. It could be snowy. You know, it's going to be a winter wonderland, Ryan Talbot. Uh, I'm Matt Perino. This is the Shout Buffalo football podcast, as always, brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you and welcome you in. Uh, you can enter for a chance to win $1 million right this second. Kings Hawaiian uh, each week is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. All of that is at topsmarkets.com slash redzone. You can enter there. Let's enter Ryan into the chat. What's up, Ryan? How are you, buddy? Hey. Doing well, doing well. Uh, getting the snowblower tuned up, getting ready for this weekend. Uh, Olean's not expected to get hit with as much snow as uh, Western New York, Buffalo area, and Orchard Park, but we'll still get our fair share, I'm sure. Yeah, so I'm, I've decided to go electric snowblower. I have the electric lawnmower, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to splurge, going to bring in the new, because uh, my gas mower blower is like on its last legs. Like I know that I'm going to get to the middle of the snowstorm and it's just going to kick on me. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> being proactive, getting out ahead of it earlier this week, I, I log on to home Depot, but they had the, their early black Friday deal. So I get after it, get it done, order the, the blower. And it says like store pickup. And so I'm like, I'm ready to go. I click it. I'm, I'm going to waiting by the minute. Send me my email. I'm going to go pick it up at the store. All of a sudden my wife checks the email. November 22nd is when it will be available. Ryan, oh. stressed out here, man. Like we're, we could be in full dad mode shovel season here any minute. I was going to say, you're going to have to break out the shovel, break out that, the Scott Chandler move there where he did that as his touchdown celebration. <laughs> Start shoveling until yeah. that snowblower is delivered. Not a lot of touchdown celebrations for the Bills in the second half of games. The last three uh game weeks here uh the it's been tough sledding for that offense and we're gonna get into so much of that we'll set up the show for you a little bit here on this wednesday night we want to talk about uh some of the uh commentary that we got from bill's players and coaches down at one bill's drive today we're going to get into the weather situation of course as we talk about all the different options that could be uh in store for bill's fans with this game and i, I i'm also interested in talking about like people that are coming in town for this game, even people attending the game. Like, what are you guys feeling? Like, 
is anybody on the fence? Like, oh, I might sling the tickets here because it's going to be a little bit of a, for lack of a better term, uh, we'll say a snowstorm down there. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, the dedication of Bills fans, th- this is the time of year where you really do see it because how easy would it be, Matt, to say, I'm going to sell these and get what I can get and I'll just sit at home in my cozy house, watch it on TV, not have to worry about driving to the stadium. Uh, and and yet, yeah, I'm still expecting there to be a, quite a few Bills fans at this matchup, uh, sitting in the cold, sitting in the snow, because that's what they do. They support their team no matter what. But man, it it, it might be uh, pretty brutal, very reminiscent maybe of that 2017 game against the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. And the one piece of the snow conversation is it's like it's really hard to predict what the conditions of the game are going to be like itself. Right. Because we could get, you know, three, four inches or feet of snow over the next 72 hours, once it starts and game day, like they could shovel that all out of the way and be perfectly fine and no snow during the game. And you almost wonder if it's even affects the, 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 the game itself. So it's hard to really get too far down the road with that. Um, Sean McDermott was asked today about, all right, is there any plans to potentially move the game? Have you heard anything about like what's what the NFL is planning? And he said the league has reached out to both teams. They're monitoring the situation, but at this time, it's all systems go. Uh, Players have been given specific directions about leaving their house a little bit earlier than normal. And also uh, they get, they give them those little brushes and the little uh, scrapers. So they get, they, they have them for their cars. So that's, that's one thing the bills are dealing with as they prepare for Sunday, like the potential weather element. They're also dealing with an illness that has infiltrated Hmm. the locker room. Five players today, came to the facility, Matt Milano, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips, Cam Lewis, Reggie Gilliam. They were subsequently sent home uh, to deal with that thing. The Bills obviously don't want that spreading in the locker room. So you add that to the mix of Tremaine Edmonds not practicing, Greg Rousseau not practicing, Jake Kumaro not practicing, and then Von Miller and Roger Saffold getting their veteran rest days. Ryan, the Bills are, they didn't have enough players to practice today. <laughs> so they did it mostly individual work. Yeah, I was going to say, they're, they're going to have to ask you guys to get out there and put some pads on if it gets any worse here with the cold. You guys are going to have to suit up, but uh, it's it's going around, whether you're talking about the flu, the cold, RSV, uh, you name it. Uh, a lot of people are getting hit with this right now, and it's it knocks you for a loop for a few days generally. So it seems like a few Bills players have came down with something obviously non-COVID related, as, as they mentioned. Um, but like you said, it can spread really quick. So getting them out of the locker room, making sure it couldn't get any worse was the smart thing to do. Hopefully in the next day or so with it, some of those guys are back feeling like themselves and they can get some good practice in ahead of Sunday's game against the Browns. We're going to get into a couple of situations player wise, uh, at looking ahead to this weekend, obviously Tremaine Edmonds not practicing here early in the week concerning. He didn't practice last week, uh, but some good news. Jordan Poyer returned to practice. We're going to get into all of that a little bit later in the show, but I want to start with the headline of this one, because I thought taking the temperature of bills fans over the last couple of days, we had our, our podcast after the game. And then it's, it's about like, you know, the, the 24 hour reactions. I think sometimes are a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more, you know, you had time to think about it a little bit more. And and I was surprised to see how many people were f- frustrated and putting a, a pretty big chunk of the loss on Sean McDermott. And, you know, I went and I, I saw a clip that was kind of going around from Khaled Cowherd and whatever you think about him. We've talked about a couple of his clips over the years on this show. And the reason I do is because Colin Cowherd is one of those guys that I feel like he's directly in the middle. 
between like the Skip Baylesses of the world and then maybe like a Ryan Clark, you know, somebody that you really respect that he's not putting clickbait out there, but he's out there. He's, he's part of that, like uh, that world. I think Cowherd kind of straddles both. And at one point I really thought, you know, early in his radio career, he was one of the premier guys. Like I, I listen to him all the time. So I have a, I have, I have a level of respect for Cowherd. I think he does his homework and this is what he said, whether you like it or not, this is what he said about this. And, this, and he helps craft the national narrative to a degree. He's one of the people that do. He said, after the game, McDermott is tight. He's a defensive-minded guy. He's not a real joyful presence, and that's okay. You can win that way, but I think the team gets tight in close games. They lost a lot of close games last year, and he says he doesn't want to blame this loss on Josh Allen. He was more putting it on the coaching staff, and specifically Sean McDermott. Two and nine in close one-score games over the last two seasons, Ryan. And so I got to thinking about that, all of this, and how much the, the fan base has been talking about they're being unsettled about Sean McDermott and uh, a little bit this week and, and talking about his issues in this game. We'll get to those specific plays. I want to bring you in a second, but this is what Bob Miller said about this. And I want to react to this a little bit, uh, both things. He said, man, he's the real deal. And I think, and, and this is Vaughn talking about Sean McDermott. I asked, I should have set this up better. I asked him specifically about Sean McDermott and the fact that, listen, people are trying to find areas to critique about what's gone wrong the last couple of weeks. And Sean McDermott's come under fire a little bit. What have been his impressions the first nine games with his new coach? And he said, he is the real deal. And I think, you know, I think championship teams and championship coaches are champions before they even win championships. He's definitely that he never gets too high, never gets too low, his delivery and his approach. And you could just tell, like he studies how to interact with the players. He studies his players. He's just a great communicator. I love the way he labels things, even though we lost, even there's multiple ways that you can go in there and label that the loss. You could say, Hey, you know what? We got our ass kicked and this is, and this and that, which all of them could be true. All of them could be true, but the way he puts his words together to inspire the team is just phenomenal. And it's just an honor and a privilege to be led by coach McDermott. So I guess to start off with Ryan, wherever you want to go with it from here, that's a lot to kind of dig into. And I want to have a conversation about it. What are your thoughts on the, um, you know, McDermott, the idea that McDermott has kind of letting this team down in, in their losing streak comp compare with what Von Miller said today. Yeah. Well, well, first with the narrative uh, that you, you mentioned, Colin Cowherd saying he is a defensive minded coach. I think he, he can be a little bit tight, tightly wound, so to speak. But at the same time, I don't know if that necessarily translates in game over the field. I feel like the bills over the past few seasons have been one of the more aggressive teams uh, where early in his tenure, he, he leaned on that defensive mindset and said, we're going to punt the ball, let our defense kind of put us in these situations to get the ball back. Now, when he's coaching, he's kind of the exact opposite where we've, we've got a weapon at, at quarterback and we have a great receiver. I feel like he's adjusted with the times. Uh, now to, to what Von Miller said, I, I agree. He doesn't get too high and too low. Not post game when he meets with the media, not the day after. He he's usually usually you can't tell based on the way he talks with the media, um, how the the game the day before went, for instance, on Mondays when he meets with them. He has a good poker face, I guess, Matt. You, you, it's hard to read the emotions. He'll say if he's upset about something, but he doesn't. He he's not someone like a Rex Ryan that was here a few years ago, where you knew where he was on everything. Uh, he didn't hide uh, a thing. He was boisterous. You name it. I feel like, you know, there's different levels of coaching and how they handle things. And I feel like the way McDermott handle, handles things is just fine. 
you can certainly pin some things on him from this loss, the loss against the Jets, and even their second half performance against the Packers in terms of uh, adjustments or lack thereof that they've been struggling to make in the second half of these games. Uh, But for the most part, I feel like he is a very good coach. What about you? You know, I've long extolled his ability to understand his room and get the most out of the the roster that he has. Now you could probably make an argument this year at six and three and now falling to six in the division or six in the conference and third in the division. Maybe he's not getting the most out of this really talented roster, but there's been some, some factors at play. They've lost three games. They've lost them, lost them by eight points. Their, their, their point differential is still insanely off the chart. They're number one in the league in point differential. And you know what they really tried to do in the offseason, I think has come to fruition. I mean, they're they're getting uh pressure with their with their line. Von Miller's been everything you wanted him to be. They're leading the league in interceptions. That kind of correlation has to be somewhat happening there. And so I think that he is a guy that he gets the job done. He figures out a way to get the job done. Now can you make an argument on the other side of that that in big game moments sometimes this this team consistently, especially in this iteration this last year, like going back to the playoffs last year and obviously how it ended against Kansas City, I maintain to this day the number one person that's at fault for 13 seconds, how it started with the kickoff is Sean McDermott because mm-hmm. you know, that you literally are 13 seconds away from going on to the next round. All you have to do is bring your entire special teams operation, including Heath Barwell, who was the coordinator at the time, and you in that moment describe what exactly is to be done on that play. You know, they ended up calling timeouts and they still got beat. They had guys in the wrong spot. That's on the coaching. Like the, like I, and he's worn that, and, and, and I respect that. The thing that confused me about this last game here now, I want to add to that that like you talk about like him, you know, being aggressive where he should. Uh, ben Baldwin on Twitter, uh, the computer cowboy, he puts out this graph every week. Jeremy White talks a lot about it on the morning show. And uh, cumulative in cumulative win probability lost per game when it comes to wrong fourth down decisions by his model, the Broncos are the worst. Like it's it's off, they're off the charts. Like Nate Hackett, as you'd expect, is is absolutely terrible. It's almost like over seven percentage points uh, goes down based on his decisions. The Bills are number one at under one percentage point lost based on the decisions they make when to go for it. So the, Sean McDermott is doing a really good job in his coaching staff, staff his analytics department of, of knowing when to go for it and making the right decision. But they had the ball and I was talking, I was going back and rewatched this again right before we went on and they were up 10 in the fourth quarter and they decided to, with a fourth and two, uh, I think at around the 20 or 30 yard line there, decided to kick the field goal to go up by 13 at that point. Um, they miss it or they make the field goal, but you had a fourth and two there. The same fourth and two closer to the goal line later in the game that you decide to go for it on. Now, if you back it up a little bit, Ryan, this was my only point on that. The fourth and two from the 25-ish yard line, you have so much more available to you. Ken Dorsey's talked about the struggles the Bills have had in the red zone because the windows are tighter. There's less opportunity. There's less space for playmakers to work in. Don't you think that fourth and two is one that maybe you'd be more eager to go with as opposed to the other one where you could kick the field goal in that spot and then force them with less time to score two touchdowns? To me, that was the, the big kind of question mark that I had about the end of that game. And that's fair. And if I had a big question mark, it would be on that second scenario of the fourth and two and more so the lead up to that. And we've said it, McDermott's a defensive minded coach. Even if you're a defensive minded coach, you're the head coach. 
you can go over to your offensive uh, offensive coordinator and say, Hey, I would like to see this or call up to him and say, what about something like this? Second and two, it was a screen pass. I believe that Josh Allen had to throw into the dirt third and two incomplete pass fourth and two incomplete pass. You have Josh Allen, the ultimate cheat code in the red zone. Uh, if you would have called a designed run on second and two or third and two, I feel very confident, Matt, that they convert that because, you know, you mentioned the passing game. The windows are, are tighter. The spacing is harder to get your your guys out in the open. But with Allen, a six foot five uh, quarterback that runs like a running back, he had already taken multiple hits at this point. So you, you can't really use the elbow injury as an excuse. We saw him take a lot of hits in that game uh, for that matter. He didn't slide all the time on those runs. I just feel like there's there was some decision making. But as for your argument, yeah, it, it does make sense. If you're further back and it's a fourth and two scenario, uh, you can hit the underneath route. You can uh, use the sidelines more. There's more room for your playmakers to operate in the field in general, where when you're you're closer to that goal line, it's harder to operate. So there were little things that this coaching staff could have done. Could they have kicked the field goal as well in that scenario and gone up 13? Yes, I, I feel like that was another uh, opportunity. I like how aggressive this Bills team can be. So when they do go for it, I don't generally sit here and say, well, that's the wrong decision, but 13 points, they would have gone up. It would have been 30 to 17 at that point. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's still a two possession game, It's but it's a two possession game where the Vikings would have needed two touchdowns. Um, so it, it changes the outcome of that game a little bit, in my opinion, where uh, I really feel like the Bills did maybe miss an opportunity where they could have put more pressure on Minnesota by taking the points in that scenario. And then you speak of pressure on Minnesota, settling for the field goal there, and it was it was late in the third quarter, two twelve left to go, and they had a fourth and two at Minnesota's twenty two yard line. So right about in the in the range that I when I was thinking, it, it got moved back to the twenty seven after the Spencer Brown penalty, uh, and then they that really clinched the field goal. But they were going for a field goal regardless in that spot, and I think that. You want to talk about pressure? There's a big difference between going up 27 to 10 as opposed to 31 to 10 in this game. And it, it changed the dynamic of the fourth quarter for the defense. And maybe Talvin Cook doesn't get to, to run that ball on the ensuing yeah. possession because they're down and they got to pass and, and, and they got to make plays and they got to go to Jeff, Justin Jefferson and they got to force the issues and the Bills had forced two turnovers already. There's always the coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I'm not trying to make it too much about that. But I thought that that was just one thing that you got to be in so, like so much happens in this league and Sean McDermott to his credit over the last two press conferences, he's been very introspective and talking, giving you some of the reasons why they go in certain spots and why they don't. And I, I think his explanations hold up, but the critique or the criticism that this team plays tight in close moments, I think it's fair. Yeah, I, I do too. And And one last critique Timeouts are valuable to coaches. I get that. I understand it. But when the Bills had the Vikings in a fourth and 18 scenario in that game, mm. why not call a timeout? You you are missing Jordan Poyer. You obviously don't have Trey White back yet. You're going with a very young secondary that, to their credit, had made some plays at that point. But if you call them aside and say, listen, one, don't get penalized for any pass interference, defensive holding, anything like that. We don't want to give them any, a free first down. But when that ball is in the air, if you can make a play on it, you should be batting it down 100% of the time. If he resonates that message with that unit before that play, I, I really think that Cam Lewis does something different in that scenario than try to catch that ball. Yes, it looked like it was high. Yes, it didn't look like Jefferson was going to make a play on it. But as we all know, he did, uh, proving why he is the best, well, one of the best, if not the best wide receiver in the game right now. 
little things like that can can come back to bite you though, especially when you're missing your leaders on the back end there. Where had Poyer been in that game, had White been in that game, uh, I think they would have said something to the to the players. Just bat it down. Uh, it's more important to take get the turnover on downs. The game's pretty much over at that point if you do. But obviously, that's not how things panned out. I want to talk about Ken Dorsey here in a second, but before we do, I've seen Rick and uh, Rick Rarick, our, one of our regulars in the comments. Uh, he's asked a couple of times about Trey White. Uh, any news on Trey White? So I'll give you the update from Sean McDermott. He was asked today, how much is Trey still working on things and what's the next step going to be for him to, you know, reach a place where he could kind of come back. I know there's a lot of fans that are like, you know, waiting patiently for this His his uh, what they've activated him now. I think it's been three or three weeks uh, since they activated him off the roster. He's been inactive a couple weeks, a couple games here. Uh, and Sean McDermott said, I think uh, the next step is just getting him back ready to go. Uh, if this is the, the level that he feels like he needs to be at, then it's we're working towards that. And I'm sure there's uh, not just conditioning, but other things uh, that factor into that. It's like a team coming out of training camp. You're trying to check enough boxes and then there's still going to be a gap somewhere in there. And at some point we've got to, uh, we've got to go. Um, and he said, is that trace? And then a question came, is that trace call? And he said, it's a team effort. Uh, is there concerns about the turf? Cause you know, Detroit's coming up. So yeah. does that play into the to things at all? He said, I'm always concerned when you see reports like that, like what has happened uh, about injuries. And obviously a lot of players have been coming off out talking about the, these specific playing surfaces across the league. Uh, but he said, that said, that's out of my control really is in terms of the quality of the turf and the different places we play. Um, and then he finished by saying he'll play when he's ready. So that's where we're at, Ryan Tapp. Yeah, you know, he said a lot of words, but we're pretty much in the same spot in terms of knowing when he's going to get onto the field. I get the turf argument, and I know he says you can't control that, but you could control that narrative if you want to say, okay, we're not going to play him against Cleveland. We can sit him out against Detroit, but then maybe he comes back the week after that. And I know Bills fans don't want to hear that. Uh, they want him on the field. He's your number one cornerback. I understand it completely, but Last year on Thanksgiving is when he tore his ACL on that type of turf. Uh, I don't know if he wants his first game back or if he did play this upcoming weekend, his second game back to be in those type of situations. I think he would like to get a few games under his belt, knowing full well that eventually he's going to have to play on that type of field again. But it it would be tough for him to, to make that his debut on Thanksgiving or even his second game if he were to somehow play this weekend. But it sounds like that there's some hurdles still for Trey White to overcome in terms of feeling like he's his his old self, so to speak. But the Bills and their training staff, to their credit, uh, they're not going to rush him out there no matter you know what the fans want, what uh, anyone wants. It's going to be when Trey White feels ready and when this coaching staff and training staff feels ready. I really like this point by Nick, and it's what I've been maintaining throughout the whole lead up to his injury coming back from his injury he says, think about how long these guys practice to get into football shape four to six weeks when they show up for training camp. And really when, when Trey started that process, like returning to practice was like six ish weeks ago now, right? Like right before the green Bay Packers game. And so, um, or I, I think it was the chiefs week, actually chiefs, right? chiefs week. week yep. uh, he Wasn't practiced play that and it was an off week. week. Yep. And then said, and then he's been practicing ever since. So maybe he's just ramping up and maybe it's just simply put about the faith that this coaching staff has in the secondary. And I tweeted it. Talk about like two things getting completely swept under the rug based on what happened in that game. And listen, Justin Jefferson, he's now 
He is now the first receiver, the fastest receiver to get to 20, 100 plus receiving games uh, in his first three seasons in NFL history. He is on a historic pace. He's one of the, he is probably the best receiver in the NFL. So even if they were fully healthy, they had Poyer back there. They had, you know, last year's Trey White. He's still probably getting his because he's just that good. I think what we lost in that game, going back and watching it, was the performance of Christian Benford, was the performance of Dane Jackson in that game. I thought both of those guys proved in that game, while there was probably some plays that they wanted back, why this coaching staff believes so much in them. They both had a sequence, Ryan, of an interception followed by a play or two later each of a tackle for a loss. Massive plays, taking the ball away and then putting the offense in a bind by backing them up off the line of scrimmage. I just, I think they played a pretty good game Everything's withstanding. And I know Christian Benford missed a few tackles uh, and, and, and that's a tough spot to be in. Dane Jackson got beat for the touchdown against Jefferson, but those are all things that are just going to happen regardless of who's in there. Yeah. When you're going against one of the best of the best, like you said, you're going to uh, get yours, so to speak, just like Diggs did in week one against Jalen Ramsey, one of the best of the best, just like the double move where he burned sauce Gardner. Great players get beaten by great players all the time and great players are going to beat Good players, average players, young players uh, like Dane Jackson and Christian Benford. And I think, ironically enough, Christian Benford might have been up for Defensive Rookie of the Week on NFL.com. The interception, a few passes defensed in that game. Um, But it's always those few negative plays that stand out. And and I get that if you're a fan because that's what sticks out in your mind in in a loss, a 33-30 overtime loss. You're not thinking about the positive plays, the interceptions. You're thinking about what could have been, what should have been. Um, and, and I understand that too, but both of those players did have some pretty big moments in that matchup. Um, let's talk about Ken Dorsey a little bit and your impressions of his explanation for why the bills did what they did down the stretch in that game. And I think one of the things, first of all, the, the marching orders, I think are something interesting to talk about, like play smart, not conservative, which, which I think both of us would agree. Like that's kind of what you want Josh Allen to be. You don't want him out there thinking too much and not reacting because I think one of the things that makes him special is putting him in in a, in a lot of different situations where he can kind of just go out there and be a playmaker. And, and those are good things, right? But it's about like, you know, emphasizing in the big moments, like what you need. And I, and I think this kind of bleeds into the Sean McDermott conversation. I think Sean McDermott has to pull him aside before that last drive. And maybe he did, and we don't know about it. And that's just Josh having to learn to to listen a little better is like, don't go out there and be Superman on this drive. Like, you know, make a couple Superman plays. If you have to, that are smart that, you know, the, the, the rushes out of the pocket where you gain, you know, a big chunk of 20 yards, but then dial it back when you're, when you're throwing the ball, it's so important. And when they said it's the, it's the most Josh Allen said, it's the most important, important thing in the building because basically I'm paraphrasing here, puts food on people's tables or something like that. He had some line like that from, from the, from the press conference today. He's right. You have to take care of the football in every situation. Ken Dorsey, though, was talking about why they abandoned the run game. And he said Mm -hmm. it was because they had run a couple screens that were successful. Like that one Isaiah McKenzie to set up the second and two, the third and two, the fourth and two. It's a really nice play. There was actually a couple screens in that game that worked well. Notwithstanding is the one early in the game when Stefan Diggs in the first play lost four yards or the couple later in the game where Josh Allen had to, you know, throw the ball of the turf. I just didn't see it. I, I think in the same sequence of the last 10 plays before those, that sequence of events happened, James Cook had a run that went like for seven or eight yards and he had, had a second effort to bounce it up and gain a couple more at the end. So I didn't see that. I, I disagree with Ken Dorsey that they had to go 
to this screen game and completely abandon the run when you needed two yards and you had three games, three plays to do it. Yeah. And, and the second down play on that, I believe was a screen pass. They had to get grounded at the feet of the receiver. Um, I think there was a tight end screen that didn't work. And then one to Singletary that didn't work in that game that come to mind. And, and I'm a hundred percent with you. And what really bothered me about that was his, his rationale. And someone was asking him about, the usage of Devin Singletary in the first half versus the second half, first half, two touchdowns. And yes, he did have a fumble, uh, but it was really a bang, bang play where I think if they would have called him down on the field, the replay, the, it would have been held up because it, whatever they call on the field, I think was going to be uh, what stuck by because it looked so close to his elbow hitting and then the ball coming out. But you went away from him altogether in the second half. I think he had four carries in the second half at, at most. And even if you don't want to, uh, use a Singletary in that second and two, third and two, fourth and two scenario. You, you still have Allen. You can you, do a designed quarterback run. The one comment he made, though, leading up to that drive is he said, well, I feel like the run game and the, and the passing numbers were pretty even going into that drive. And when you go back and look, they weren't close to being even unless he was counting Josh Allen scrambles, not design runs, scrambles mm-hmm. as run plays. And I get it. He, he is running with the ball. He's going downfield. But when you called that play down to him, you didn't call for him to elude a defender and take off for 20, 30 yards. It was a pass play that he had to uh, take into his own hands. So they once again abandoned the run. They once again, it cost them because they didn't take as much time off the clock. They didn't chew up some yards. They didn't convert some third and shorts, fourth and shorts, second and shorts that they could have possibly, whether it was Singletary, Cook, or even Allen in a designed run capacity. Uh, so, you, you know, Dorsey's going to learn. And real quick, and I'm going off tangent a little bit here, Matt, is I did see a lot of comments. I like the tangent. About, I know. I, oh, man, I really miss Brian Dable. And look what he's doing in New York. Listen, I hope Dable wins coach of the year. Uh, love the guy. Great guy. But, man, it, the, the memories are very short here in Western New York. It, there was a 9-6 stinker one year ago to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and guess who the offensive coordinator was, Matt? It was Brian Dable. Uh, so th- the way that the Bills offense operates, this was not just like it was a well-chugging chug- engine or train all si- 17 games last season. They went through some ups and downs, a lot of win-loss, win-loss, win-loss one year ago too. So uh, there was just as many ups and downs last year as there have been this year, and the Bills are still in a really good spot at 6-3 and three with Ken Dorsey with an offense that put up 30 points and listen with that offense and, and the defense missing some key pieces. Yes. I understand that you would think that 30 points would have been enough to win this game late in the 2020 season. I can't remember what the game was, but they were on their way to a 13 and three year and Josh Allen was putting up just numbers and he was in the conversation. He'd enter the MVP chat. He wasn't going to win it. And I remember somebody, I'm not going to throw them under the bus here, but would fill up my DMS and my mentions with fire Brian Dable, like a campaign to fire Brian Dable. And I just, to this day, man, like just throws me through it because our producer who will make an appearance later in the show, AJ brought it up in the chat earlier is like, people are so, uh, they're so bothered by the fact that Tredavious White isn't back yet because going into the season, they thought that he'd be ready for week one or there's a chance of it. So now that it's, it's gone this long, it's like you kind of get, you know, upset and you know, Super Bowl aspirations, Nine and three. I don't think anybody expected the Bills to be sitting here looking up at the Dolphins and the Jets in the division after nine right. games. Uh, so I, I think that there's a, a level of that to all of that. Uh, super chat from our, our our good friend John Falsetta. I hope I'm saying your last name right. 
Love the show. You two are the best, but I'm afraid McDermott is the new Marty Schottenheimer, Chuck Knox type who always loses close and big games. And Ryan, he's going to be that. Thank you, John. He's going to be that till he wins some of these games. And I think that it's a fair, it's a fair complaint, but I also think that you have to be measured and fans don't have to be measured. So be as uh, hyperbolic as you want. I'm not going to judge you, but I think like, if I'm evaluating this and I look at what was here for the 17 years prior, you are a playoff contender every year with Sean McDermott. And I go back to his mentor, the guy that groomed him in this league, Andy Reid, and the struggles that he went through in Philadelphia before ultimately getting fired there and going on to do what he's done in Kansas City. And I and I just wonder, over the course of Andy Reid's head coaching career, whatever it ends up being at, was it 25 years now, 26 years? It's got to be It's got to be somewhere up there, right? He's got one Super Bowl title. Would you be willing to be competitive every year for 20 years, however long it was when he finally won it, to eventually get that one? And maybe he needed that change of scenery to go to, to leave Philadelphia, to go to Kansas City and, and recalibrate, rethink it. But I just think sometimes there's this push to move on from a guy. But I, I also think that there's, if, if you want to get on the devil's advocate side of that, it's like there's also the Marvin Lewis's of the world that get, you know, a huge runway and just it never materializes. Yeah, it, it's always tough. And listen, I'm not sitting here saying McDermott's on the hot seat or he should be on the hot seat. Uh, but you said it best, Matt, until he wins those big games or wins the big one, there's going to be those types of comparisons. And there have been there's been history where coaches have left. They've built up a really good roster. They go in the next year, a coach comes in and wins the whole thing. Now they won it with the, the roster of the previous coach, and then maybe the success wasn't long term. Uh, but maybe it was just a new voice in the room that needed to get them over the top. I'm not saying that's the case in Buffalo, uh, but that'll be the devil's advocate side of that is while you know there could be someone better out there. There could be. But there could be a, a Rex Ryan. There could be a, a Dick Duran. Uh, there could be a lot of guys where you go wrong before, before you finally find the right one. And I think Sean McDermott has done a great job as Bill's head coach since taking over in 2017. And while a lot of fans are, I guess, antsy because of the Super Bowl expectations going into this year, remember where they're at. They're six and three. They have a lot of winnable games remaining. If they, you know, if they somehow drop the next one or Next two out of three, then yes, hit the panic button, uh, get upset, fire off those takes about McDermott and Dorsey and everyone else. But right now, the Bills are still in a really good spot to get back to the playoffs. And after being, what, seven and six at one point last year, Matt, when it really mattered the most, the Bills are playing excellent football come playoff time. Uh, They were just a coin flip away from probably defeating the Chiefs in that matchup, going on to the championship, and then who knows from there. Uh, so it's just about getting hot at the right time, getting in. And I feel like with this roster, the Bills can certainly do that. If you want to get hot at the right time right now, it is the Christmas bonus program going out to Tosh Friendly Markets. Check this out. Tis the season to save on all your groceries and all your holiday gifts. Christmas bonus is underway at Tosh Friendly Markets, which means shop at Tops and save $10 at all of your other favorite stores and restaurants with over 25 gift cards to choose from. There's something for everyone on your list. And don't forget to treat yourself to some extra savings too. save on great, great gifts like toys and games from GameStop or Toys R Us at Macy's great family dining at Applebee's or Buffalo Wild Wings. That new big screen TV you've wanted from Best Buy and so much more just by shopping at tops. You can be Santa's biggest little helper 
with Christmas bonus from Tops for a complete list of details, gift card savings. Visit topsmarkets.com slash Christmas bonus. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ryan Talbot, where do you want to go next? You know, in terms of where we're going to steer this conversation next, uh, I've seen two things in the comments now about a, uh, I believe it was a tweet you put out today about AJ Klein. Three things mm. now uh, about AJ Klein potentially maybe making a return to Buffalo with um, Tremaine Edmonds banged up. Should the Bills put in a claim on him? Should they pursue him? So let, let's go there right now based on the fact that he is a veteran that wouldn't cost a lot of money, knows the system. Let, let's hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, and I think the first thing that that comes to mind when thinking about uh, reacquisition of AJ Klein is who has looked the best in this Bills defense at that position, not named Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano over the last three seasons. It's without a shadow of a doubt, AJ Klein. I think he came in for a stretch last. Uh, it might not have been last year. It might have been two years ago, and had some really good games. He's older. Uh, I don't know if he's much more than a depth option at this stage in his career. Uh, he missed a lot of training camp. I don't think he signed with a team until maybe late in the preseason, early in the season. So there's that to consider. Um, I'm also a little hazy on, you know, he is a vested veteran. Uh, but uh, my good buddy Sal Capaccia told me that after the trade deadline, um, all players that are released go through uh, waivers. So the Bills would technically have to claim him. He signed a veteran minimum deal, basically, with the Ravens before they traded him to the Bears in the Roquan, Roquan Smith deal. And so if you're the Bills and you know it, it fits into the financial picture, to me, adding him is more about not believing in Tyrell Dotson as you know having to play for Tremaine Edmonds like he did this past week. Combined with the fact that we obviously just don't think that Terrell Bernard is ready yet at this stage in his career. He, you know, he's kind of an undersized linebacker. I think he's going to be a little bit more time to develop. They're not all like Matt Milano. Matt Milano's don't grow on trees. Like, you know, day two pick, day three pick. I mean, he was a fifth round draft yeah. pick that just comes in from day one is it, and is ready to at least start building uh, in the program. They're just not all like that. So I think the Klein addition would be, all right, you've already had Milano banged up this year. You've had Edmonds now. You want a veteran presence in that room, unless you really believe in Dotson and you saw enough in that game on tape to where you think he can build off of that. It's an interesting, it's an interesting option, and they've never been afraid to bring somebody that's left back into the mix, especially a guy like Klein, a veteran guy that goes back with them to Carolina. Yeah, great locker room guy, uh, someone that's not going to stir any waves on the field or in the locker room. Um, Someone that you mentioned that knows the system could come right in and 
not miss a beat. The Bills linebackers have been banged up this year. They don't do a lot of traditional, you know, four or three looks, three linebacker sets, but in, in the event that they have to do that in a few games, they did that with him in, in years past, and he was really good in that role. They figured out how to utilize him the right way, use him as a blitzer, use him against the run, not try to get him out there in coverage where he, he could be a liability at times. But being a linebacker, co- you know, coverage is probably the hardest aspect of that game. There's a few linebackers that have the speed, have the athleticism to, to go uh, across the field with some of these receivers, tight ends, et cetera. Uh, but th- there's a lot of things he does well. And both on and off the field, as I mentioned, where I think he would be an intriguing option uh, for the Bills to maybe put in a waiver claim for. McDermott mentioned today about uh, Edmonds. He was asked about his development in coverage this season. I mean, he's really looked like he's taken a giant leap. I know that the interceptions aren't necessarily there yet, and he's always seems to be around the ball. And that continues to be a storyline. But we saw the coverage issues with him off the field. And I think mm-hmm. it was Daryl Johnston on the broadcast who mentioned uh, or some one of the broadcast members mentioned the fact that on that one interception that got away from Kirk Cousins, a reason for some of those throws sometimes are because of the fear of the length of Edmonds in the middle of the defense. And yeah. so I think what we're we're having a side conversation about here now getting to Edmonds here, how concerned are you moving forward? Maybe not so much against the Browns. Because of, you know, I mean, their passing game, I don't think strikes fear. Uh, but, you know, the Lions have been able to, you know, move the ball through the air this season. And then you obviously get into the AFC uh, East, especially that Dolphins game looming. And, and you start to want to have all hands on deck. But also, has this changed your mind at all in terms of the pecking order on the extension talk? Is Have we seen enough from, from Tremaine Edmonds this year to, to finally start giving him some of those flowers and saying, yeah, you take him out of this defense and things change dramatically, even at the price tag that it's likely going to cost. Yeah, the fan base probably won't want to hear this, but I I think he has done enough, not just small sample size of like this past game where he had two passes defensed in the first half and uh, the linebacker play really fell off without him. Over the course of the entire season, he's been really, really good. Yes, there's there's always those one or two plays where he would like to have back, but you can say that for any player. Uh, I feel like when you're looking at who's in line for an extension, I think he's a leapfrog. At, at Oliver. I like at Oliver a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's a talented defensive tackle. Um, but in terms of a game by game basis, what he brings, I think you get more impact plays or it, it, maybe not an impact play, but how you just put it, he, he puts something in the mind of opposing quarterbacks of, I can't deliver a ball this way. I have to try mm-hmm. to do this in the middle of the field because of the length, because of the wingspan, because of the way that he can, go up and get the ball. So it's even that that in the back of their minds, uh, he, he can play a role in the outcome of a game without even having to do anything, uh, where as good as a guy like Oliver has been at times, he's flashed that he had a really good year last year. Uh, I, I don't know how much you want to shell out to him with, with that contract running out where I, I feel like they know what Edmonds brings to this unit. And yet, do you really want to pay two linebackers big money? You already extended Milano. In an ideal world, no. Guys like Tremaine Edmonds, you you just can't get out there in the draft. You can't get out there in free agency for pennies on the dollar. Uh, He's a great fit for this system. 
I'm with you there. I'm totally in the Edmonds over Oliver at this stage. They've done a really good job of finding interior pieces. And that's not to downplay Oliver's importance in this defense, because I think when he's on, I mean, I thought he played really well. There's some people talking about this in the chat right now. Maybe we transition to this a little bit. And that's just the Bills pass rush. I mean, there, there was some some cri- criticism of it in that fourth quarter and allowing the Bill or the Chief, or the Vikings to drive a little bit in that game. At times, Kirk Cousins, like we mentioned, if you give him three seconds to throw, he's usually going to find one of those targets. I mean, there was a couple third, even a couple fourth down conversions. And you look at the Bills' big numbers here, and they're, uh, I believe they're just outside the top 10. They're ninth in the league with 27 sacks on the season, but their pressure rate, um, 76 pressures on the season, which is bottom half of the league. Their Mm. pressure percentage is just around uh, bottom half as well. They they rank, I believe, 21st or 22nd at a 21.2% pressure rate. Not good enough across the board. And I think there's some guys that flashed earlier in the season, the Tim Settles in the world that had a, a game or two that you really like, Jordan Phillips in those first two games. They've been really quiet over the last couple. Yes, uh, th- there are moments early in that game, especially where I said, oh, man, th- they're not getting to Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins is holding the ball in a lot of those situations. There are one or two plays where I thought, sh- I think it was Shaq Lawson that uh, swung his arm to try to bat the ball out of the back of Cousins' hands at one point, and he just missed. Little opportunities like that. But when you did look at the final stat sheet of this game against the Vikings, Von Miller had a sack. Uh, A.J. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Shaq Lawson, and Ed Oliver, I believe, split a sack. Uh, so there were quite a few defensive linemen that made plays in that regard when, when it mattered most. Uh, you had a run for loss by Jordan Phillips, if I'm remembering that correctly. So overall, uh, there was a lot of good from that defensive line in terms of the pass rush. They were pretty good against the run, too, minus uh, the one, obviously, 81-yard touchdown run. Uh, they held Delvin Cook to 13 rushes for 38 yards otherwise. So, you know, obviously the 81-yard touchdown still counts and it counts against them. But I, I thought the defensive line for overall going back and re-watching that game, they made enough plays when it mattered. But yes, the consistency, uh, wanting to see a little bit more over the over four quarters, I think that's certainly fair. Naheem Hines, two games now with the Bills. Uh, he's been on the roster for, I think, let's say, so Exactly two weeks at this point. I think he was traded for uh, two two weeks ago on Tuesday. Um, And this past game, six snaps on offense. And the explanation from the Bills is, and McDermott mentioned this today, is that, you know, some of the guys that have gone out and performed uh, off the trade deadline, you know, most notably Kadarius Tony, who goes and, you know, offer 96 receiving yards in his first or second game with the Chiefs. Um, he was traded for, I believe, four days before Hines. He said they've had more time. Now, I understand that to a degree, and I tweeted about it earlier in the weeks, but you got to be able to brainstorm, A, what you sent assets away for, the skill set that you think Hines brings to your offense, and positioning him, if it's just for a small package of plays, and we're talking about maybe 10 in a game even to where you can get him coached up during the week and then execute that on game day. I don't think that that's too much to ask, Ryan. No. And you know, Tony, he may have been with Kansas city longer. I think Sunday was his debut though. Uh, I think he was dealing with injuries and it was the first time that he was off of the injury report. I I could be wrong. You can check that and and double check it on me, but 
Uh, it was obviously a really nice performance. I think it was his first career touchdown in that game too. Um, so mm-hmm. played really well for them. He TJ played. He, Hopp, played bo- he did he play both games. Before. So he okay. played against Tennessee, had two catches and twelve yards, which more production than Hines even in the first game. Yeah, so, even so. And he had uh, uh, he had nine snaps in that game, twenty eight snaps in this last game. No matter the position, uh, Tony at wide receiver, a Hawkinson who's been a monster for Minnesota in the two games that he's been there. If you're trading for an asset like that, and, and the Bills obviously wanted Hines, they had a role for him. Brandon Bean said he tried to get him a few years ago. If this is someone that you've wanted before and that you wanted to get this year at the trade deadline, then you should have already had a, a plan in place. And it shouldn't just be, you're our punt returner. It should be, we're going to get you the ball five snaps per game in, in the first game. Uh, we're going to get you five touches, whether it's carries, whether it's screens, whether it's wheel routes, uh, play you in the slot. He was brought in for a reason. At that time, it was because the Bills weren't getting a lot from their weapons outside of Stephon Diggs. Against the Vikings, yes. Gabe Davis, uh, Dawson Knox, even Isaiah McKenzie, to a certain extent, stepped up and made some plays. But you're not giving Hines an opportunity to join that list and and – if you really want to be a dangerous team come playoff time, uh, you want to have more than enough mouths to feed. And I feel like right now we haven't seen anything in these first few weeks from Hines to believe that he is going to be that type of weapon. The skill set's there, but can the Bills figure out a way to utilize him and get him the ball regularly? And I think, listen, if you if you have a penchant for this screen game that you're searching to develop, I mean, I think he'd be the perfect fit for that for that yeah. kind of situation, especially this weekend uh, against the Browns and what could be a game if the weather has any impact, like getting him some touches in that short passing game, however you have to manufacture it. And if it's not in the screen game, let him just try to run some routes out of the slot. Like I, They're giving Isaiah McKenzie that opportunity, and, and, and I respect it and I understand it. He was better this past week. Uh, I think he ended up with four or five catches. Uh, obviously, had a couple of really nice play. That that one catch that he made coming across on the crossing route, and he had to really extend, dive dive yeah. for the catch. That's a nice play. That builds trust with your quarterback. So I'm not counting out him by any stretch of the imagination. But can you get Hines involved a little bit more, even if it's at the expense of like a Khalil Shakir? And I know, but I don't want Bill's Mafia to come from my head on that. But this is a guy that has four years of NFL experience, four and a half years of NFL experience. You just traded for, you got to find a way to utilize him. If that means, you know, scaling back a little bit on Shakir as much as you like him in the now while you work Heinz in, I'm okay with it. Uh, yeah, me too. And, and listen, they bring something different to the table. Shakir was a really good uh, pass catcher that we saw at training camp, which we've seen over his career in college. Uh, Heinz is a great pass catcher, but he also has that element of speed that uh, the Bills really were looking for. Uh, runs under a 4-4, someone that can uh, accelerate past defenders with the ball in his hands. So if Josh Allen can hit him in stride, you know he could be off to the races and, and what looked like a 10, 12-yard uh, play might go the distance because of the speed, the acceleration, the burst, the the ability to elude defenders that he has shown in his career could really pay off for this team. But you've got to put it in motion somehow. You've got to get him those touches. And if you're not going to use them in the screen passes, maybe you think, okay, if we get them out there, teams are going to kind of sniff that out. They're going to have an idea. Then use them on the wheel routes. Use them as a traditional slot receiver. Get creative with how you can utilize him. uh, Because if not, you're you're letting a potential weapon just sit there and, and collect dust, so to speak, where that's not the intended plan of what Brandon Bean had in mind when he brought him in. Mm-hmm. Speaking of bringing him in, let's 
go to uh, let's bring in our boy, AJ Sabalski. Yeah, there you how go. Do you like, how do you like that? Back to back. Nailed it. Somebody. How are you doing? I'm just wrapping my uh, Sabres hat. You know, uh, I got the, thinking about the good old got, days. You know, it was, a, got, it was a fun time. You got the goat? You got the goat up there? I like it. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to bring up something that I saw. I've seen in the chat throughout, like it's we're only six and three. There's no reason to like really be concerned because last year the Bills were in the kind of the same spot. But in terms of I want to bring up something in terms of you know the playoff run if the Bills get to that point, which I'm assuming and most Bills fans hope they do. These letdowns after big games last year and this year, they beat Kansas City last year, 38-20, and ended up going in a little rut. Now that probably costed them, you know, a one seed in the AFC because of the route they went in. So if you go to this year, we're kind of in that same spot, had a huge win against Kansas City. They looked really good. Now we've dropped now they've dropped a couple of games. And it's it's something to look at because I think it's so important for the Bills to kind of get that home field advantage when every single year they've had to go to Arrowhead and you know, they, they can knock off the Chiefs. They've they proved it last year that they were 13 seconds away from it. But these games, they add up. And I know not to panic about the playoffs. I still think they're a great team. But it's something to be said about winning that big game, coming back down to earth, and the Bills still fi- finding ways to win games after, you know, winning those big games just like last year. Yeah. Uh, there is something to be said about that. They they could end up squandering the opportunity to be the one seed in the AFC this year based on th- this mini slump that they've been in losing to the Jets, losing to the Vikings, both games that they could have won, especially the Vikings game. I don't want to take anything away uh, from the, the Jets defense, how they performed the game plan of the Jets, the short passing game, the run game. Uh, they came in with a good plan. Minnesota, though, they were up 27 to 10 at one point. They could have gone up 30 to 17. They left some points on the table with turnovers, uh, and they let that one get away from them. And suddenly they went from first in the conference and first in the AFC East uh, down to third in the AFC East and sixth in the conference. So it's going to be hard to work their way back up into that top spot. The one thing that they have going for them is they still have those head-to-head wins over the Chiefs, the Ravens and the Titans, uh, three of those teams that they're kind of looking up at right now in the standing. So they, at least they have those types of wins in their back pocket. You obviously have to wait for the the Jets and the Dolphins to stumble a little bit. The Dolphins are playing good football, but November, December, uh, January, we've seen Tua kind of fall apart in his career. Now, I, I don't know if that's going to happen under Mike McDaniel. I think he's a great head coach, but the cold weather game against the Bills, I could see him really struggling there. The Jets, as good as their defense is, I, I see them falling off a bit too. So I think the Bills have an opportunity to get back into the AFC East number one uh, spot and still be in the mix for the AFC's number one seed. But yes, these little slumps, these little losing streaks, so to speak, it, it definitely hurt their chances because the AFC is by far the stronger conference right now. Uh, and you can't really have those types of letdowns. Matt, what do you think? For me, the one seed more than anything is about a storyline the Bills are going through for, through the first two plus months of the season. And that's like getting healthy. Like if you win the one seed, I know Vaughn talked about coming out slow, but Sean McDermott is undefeated in his career after a bye week. And I think the Bills at home 
at Highmark Stadium with whoever they have to play, the lowest seed in the yeah. uh, divisional round of the playoff. And high, inside the Highmark Stadium is a completely different scenario. And I think that if you're trying to wait for guys to get to get healthy at that time of the year, whatever the case may be, I mean, Jordan Poyer, he's got the brace on. He's back at practice in a limited basis today. It's trending in the right direction. But, you know, who knows what's going to come up later in the season with him or with anybody else. And so I think getting the one seed to me um, is more about that than anything else. I think this is a team that could go on the road and win games. Like, I don't think this is, I don't think that there's any, you know, arrowhead hangover. They went on the road this regular season and did it. I know they did it last year too. And, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But I, I think that they can win there. I think that this is a different team. It's constructed differently. And I think that those games will have a different feel. Would you like it better to have happen in Highmark Stadium? Sure. But at the same time, with what I just said about health and wanting to buy and, and, and the play, I do buy into what Vaughn's saying too, is that if you don't get the buy, it's almost like playoff ready from the start. And if they end up getting the the two seed or the three seed or the four seed, I, I still think they'll be in a pretty good spot because the only team there is no team that has the tiebreaker on them right now. The only one that can get it is the Miami Dolphins. They can beat them in Orchard Park in December, which is going to be a tall test. Yeah, I just going back to that point. I just I, I agree with you that the Bills can win games on the road in the playoffs. But from a from a perspective of, you know, looking back at last year and what this team did in Arrowhead and almost, you know, came up with a, a win. If that game, I think the biggest thing amongst, you know, Bill's fans was the idea that this year that game can be played in Buffalo. And I think that was something that Allen and I think McDermott are, you know, obviously their first goal is to make the playoffs and win the division. But I think they were really looking to take that next step, which we have, which, you know, we haven't seen that from this team is that the one seed is, you know, something that they can attain. Speaking of Ben Baldwin, I talked about his chart earlier in the game. He puts together uh, betting market rankings for the NFL. So market-derived team tiers. Right now, the Super Bowl or bust tier, Ryan, who's in it? Oh, AFC and NFC, correct? Yep. You're talking, okay. Bills? Based on this market, yep. Uh, Market-driven team tier. Bills? Okay. Bills? Chiefs? Yep. Gosh. Super Bowl or bust? Eagles. Yep. Vikings. Nope. Ooh. I was going to say 49ers, but I'm not. Yep. There. 49ers. Oh, 49ers. They just okay. entered the chat. Yep. So that's okay. four. That's your four in the Super Bowl or bust. Who are the other contenders? Go. Four teams. Dolphins. You can guess this too, AJ. No, no, not. No Dolphins. Oh, okay. Cowboys. Cowboys. I'll go back to the Vikings. No, no Vikings. Wow. Okay. Titans? Ravens. Titans, no. Ravens? Ravens, yes. So that you got two of four. Other contenders. I was going to say the Chargers. Chargers. I was, was going to say, but no. Buccaneers? Buccaneers, that's three. Ugh. Do you want to no, who's the fourth? Yeah, give me a, Su- give us a hint. Super Bowl runner up. Bengals. So, Bengals. <laughs> yeah, I don't, but I'm not there. On the Bengals. Okay. No, okay. But hang on. We'll, we'll, okay. We're going to assess this in a second. Now, the last group is four. four. I'm going to have you guys guess as well. Possibly frisky. Go. Four teams. The Vikings. Yes. Okay. Woo. Third time's the charm. Did you say no to the Titans earlier? I did say no to the Titans. Titans now? Nope. Pot, no. <laughs> Cowboys? 
Cowboys? Nope, they were in the uh, contenders. Oh, they were in the contenders. Okay, that's right. how many do you got? Do you guys have right now? We just have one. Yeah, so the far. Vikings, one of four. You've already said the Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, Jets. 49ers, Ravens, Cowboys, Bucks, and Bengals. No, not the not the Jets. Dolphins. Dolphins. You got two. Two of four. Okay. Giants. Possibly frisky. No. <laughs> I'm thinking of like the NFC West right now. I don't believe in any of those other teams. Is, it, is there any NFC te- NFC West teams left? Um, no. Okay. So that, I've seen this. I saw this chart earlier today, but I it's still I'm not I haven't seen it. the chart at all. So <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 really enjoying you guys struggling with this more than I probably should. <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly. Um, well, I'll give you the, the division. Trash. Okay, go ahead. NFC North, NFC North, Packers. Yep, Packers, and then okay. the AFC West. Chargers, the Chargers, Chargers. Yep. Yeah. So here are the teams. Check this out: the Titans and the Patriots are in the NFL middle class Seahawks as well. I'd have put I'd I'd have put the Seahawks and the Titans in over the Packers in the possibly frisky. Mm-hmm. Then also in the not looking good class, the Giants and the Jets. Mm. Now the and now the Rams as well. So I don't know. It's market driven. So this is this isn't somebody's opinion. This is based on what what people are betting. So basically what that tells right. you is nobody the betting market does not believe in either of the New Jersey teams. And even with the 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 recent run of two on that offense, Miami Dolphins still not in the contender conversation. I, I thought that was interesting. And it is. It's the defense for Miami. I mean, I saw them go back and forth with the Bears, and that's not a knock on either team. The Bears are playing really good football right now, actually. They finally kind of figured out how to utilize Justin Fields. But we've seen them give up a lot of points in a lot of games, and – uh, it just takes, you know, one shootout or one game where they can't keep up because of that defense being a liability. But going to the Bengals, the Bengals one is the one that surprised me a little bit. You know, with Jamar Chase, with with the way they were playing, even with Chase in the lineup earlier this year, uh, it was very up and down, ebbs and flows. And I just didn't see enough from them. And and now knowing that Chase is out for a little bit, I'm not a believer in them right now. And I, I maybe I'll be wrong because I really like Joe Burrow. And if I am wrong, I don't mind eating crow in that scenario. But that one surprised me a bit. Where can you get the best food on Sunday during the snowstorm? Oh, I'm leading you into your awesome. final segment. I'm leading you into your final segment. As I say, Toss friendly markets, baby. I mean, that is that's clutch. AJ, I, at first I didn't hear you. That was perfect. The say you, you, dude, you just became the Segway Prince right there. I'm still the king. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll let you. I'll let you let you wear that prince crown. Let Tops do all the work for your game day and tailgating spreads. Uh, head over to Tops. Uh, check out their carryout cafe. Hot to go, fresh large cheese and pepperoni pizza, fourteen dollars. Jumbo chicken wings, ten count, fourteen dollars. The legendary breakfast pizza. You can get a large for twenty bucks. Pizza or taco logs, six count, seven sixty nine. Baby back rib sections, five ninety nine a pound. Sub sandwiches, wraps, app size, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. He is AJ Sabalski. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Prino. This is Shout. Like and subscribe. We'll see you on Friday for the preview show. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.